back to the Coffee and Bible Time podcast. For those that may be listening for the first time, our podcast is an offshoot from our main platform, YouTube. Our channel is called Coffee and Bible Time, where our goal is to help people delight in God's word. We also have a website and storefront with Bible studies, prayer journals, and more. I'm Mentor Mama, and today we are going to be talking about how immigrants and refugees strengthen our churches today. You know, our country has a long history of immigrants and refugees seeking a better life and finding it in America. And for Americans, that brings an incredible opportunity to spread the gospel, both individually and also through our local churches. Well, God has called us all to welcome strangers, to love our neighbors and even our enemies and make disciples of all nations. But sometimes we fail to see the least of these as God does so immensely valuable. Well, our guests today, Josh Sharif and Sarah Tierney have teamed up to write the book, The Stranger at Our Shore, which largely recounts Josh's journey out of Egypt and Islam to the United States and his conversion to the Christian faith. Josh and Sarah help us understand the importance of receiving immigrants into not only our society, but lovingly into our churches. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey everyone, is your church group looking for a new turnkey program that you can quickly and easily put in place? Well, we have just the opportunity for you. Coffee and Bible Time has created two new teaching courses on how to pray using our prayer journal and how to pray using our prayer binder. We modeled these teaching courses after a live event that we conducted for a group of 100 women and girls in Austin, Texas. Unfortunately, when the pandemic hit, this cut off our ability to do live teaching. But the blessing that came out of that time was that we now have available video teaching that can be utilized by anyone, anywhere, at any time. In one course, Ashley teaches how to pray using the prayer journal, and in the other course, Mentor Mama teaches how to pray using the prayer binder. All you need to do to implement a program like the one we conducted live in Texas is to purchase one of our video teaching courses along with the number of either prayer journals or prayer binders for each participant in your group. This program is ideal for moms groups, women's ministry events, young adults groups, middle school and high school groups, or even small groups. And for a limited time, we have a special offer for our podcast listeners. Buy either nine prayer journals or prayer binders and get the 10th one free using the promo code PODCAST on our website at coffeeandbibletime.com. Joshua Sharif was born in Egypt to a Muslim family and immigrated to the United States, where he later came to faith in Jesus. For the past decade, he has planted and pastored in Albany Park, Chicago, Illinois, one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the country. His congregation represents more than 30 nationalities speaking 20 languages. 
Joss has enjoyed his years equipping and coaching other missionaries and pastors around the world. His story was featured in Love Costs Everything, a documentary produced by CIY and Voice of the Martyrs concerning Christian persecution. And also joining us today is Sarah Lou Tierney. She is a Canadian American who spent her childhood in the mountains of Eastern Congo. Due to political unrest, her family later moved to Illinois, where she met and married her high school sweetheart. Jake and Sarah have two children and currently reside in the Midwest, where Sarah is a therapist by day in private practice and a writer by night in her kitchen. Please welcome Josh and Sarah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Let's just begin, Josh, with, you know, a large part of this book is your testimony. You grew up Muslim in Egypt and later immigrated to the U.S. and converted. Can you briefly just tell us how you got to this point? Sure. Um, and, and I don't want to give away the whole story, but I'm going to give you some highlights. Um, it's a long story, but I did. I grew up in a, in a Muslim household in Egypt. And I would say uh, as far as um, faith, we were nominally Muslim, but very culturally Muslim. Um, for myself, I had a desire at an early age to be a lot more religious um, and uh, my chief desire, if there was this God that that was heading up the universe, was to please him in some way. And so, you know, my, my endeavor and my early wish was to be an imam, a Muslim uh, leader in, in the sense, if you're a Christian, um, it's it's the equivalent of, of being a pastor or a priest. And so um, for me, faith took on a greater role as well in Egypt, when my father had a heart attack, kind of had that health scare that scared him more into faith. And all of a sudden, we were at the mosque all the time. And um, I delighted in that. And so for me, coming to America, fast forwarding a, a lot of the story here, but coming to America, and uh, living with my grandparents uh, was was culture ch shock on multiple levels, not just uh, the the culture change of of America and the language difference. I came not speaking English, but my grandmother was the the first Christian in our family, and she had to leave Egypt due to persecution. And so uh, she was very serious about her faith. But uh, what I the memory that I have that that I want to share is walking by their little office, and every morning my my grandfather and my grandmother would be reading the Bible out loud uh, to each other. And, um, you know, I look back and I, I know that was strictly for our benefit living with them. They didn't need to be uh, reading loud enough for, for us to hear. But um, distinctly, I remember walking past their office and in a sense, really hurling insults, you know, th that God doesn't hear your prayers, the Bible is corrupt. Um, as I was confronted with scripture, I, I think my, my approach was to confront back. They were gentle, they were loving. And I can't tell you the exact day of how I 
when I became a Christian, but I do remember um, going from passing by and insulting to to lingering at the door quietly, to being in the room and hearing scripture, to opening up. Um, I still have it like this little blue Arabic Bible and reading scripture. And it was encountering Jesus in scripture, encountering a God who uh, was completely different in character than than any God I was exposed to um, that, that changed my life. And it was in, in scripture that I, I discovered the truth of who Jesus was and in that room that I gave my life to Jesus. Learn what theology is and how to study God within the Bible in course number seven of our in-depth Bible study academy. In this academically built course, you will learn the tools to study God's character and nature within a Bible passage and how to grow closer to God relationally through Bible study. This course titled Theology, Knowing God Through In-Depth Bible Study is packed with teaching lessons, homework, quizzes, and a resource list for personal study. Head to our website, coffeeandbibletime.com, to learn more about the Academy and course number seven today. Use promo code CBT Podcast, that's CBT Podcast, to get 50% off this course right now at coffeeandbibletime.com. such a beautiful story and i just want to encourage our listeners to pick up a copy of your your book because i love all the details that you give in the book about you know your personal upbringing there's so many uh layers of of details that enrich the story um well josh can you tell us you know you've explained how you came to christ in another sense though leaving Islam for Christianity. What what about that experience actually caused you to leave Islam because that was such a tremendous change for you compared to your, you know, your former upbringing? Yeah, you know, I think for me, and I, I can speak on it now better than, of course, back then, but I think what was really happening for me in discovering a God who was like any other God, a God who, you know, you know, was a father, a God who is love, and a God who's our savior. Um, that is just so diametrically opposed to to anything um, that I understood, and a God who was gracious. Um, I mentioned I was searching for God and wanted to please God, but I think for me, in God, I found, in Jesus, I found a God who had been after me and a God who was already pleased and loved me. And um, I think that that just changed my perspective on the kind of relationship you can have with, with God and, you know, um, switching from wanting to be an imam to wanting to be a pastor. I think the motivation changed as well. Uh, I didn't just reapply my motivation, but but for me, it was um, really out of gratitude. It went from striving to gratitude uh, because this God had saved me, because this God loves me, because he is my heavenly father, and I am so grateful for the grace he's afforded me. 
um, how can I not um, continue to pursue and serve him? And, and, you know, for me, that was to go into ministry and that's taken different forms through the years. And for other people, it's different, different things, but, but I know that um, my service wasn't obligation. It wasn't striving. It, it, it changed into, into really out of gratitude. Yes. And just the power of the Holy Spirit coming into you and sort of God lifting the scales from your eyes to see. Well, let's shift gears for just a little bit and talk about your experience in the church today regarding what would you say you see as some of the problems we have regarding how we relate in America to immigrants and refugees? What can we do better? Sure. And, and I want to back up and say, you know, as Sarah is, um, as Sarah and I really discussed this book, I was very um, resistant, hesitant, and um, really didn't want a lot to add it to any more noise out there, or um, quite honestly, you know, I don't think that the church needs to be beat down anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for me, the motivation, and I hope the voice comes across in the book as well, is to encourage the church. And it's it's kind of my, not rebuke of the church, but my love letter to the church to say, uh, the church of Jesus has, has loved me, equipped me, sent me, um, and, and I think that this is what the church by the power of the Holy Spirit is equipped to do again and again to, um, you know, what we call strangers at a short people like me who, who came in to a completely foreign land and discovered um, a, a God and a, a family that, that they didn't know before. Um, and I think that has um, less to do with being necessarily welcomed into this specific country, although I think this specific country allows so many freedoms um, for us to explore our faith, but more being welcomed into the family of God. And so, um, you know, what I'm hoping to do for the church is to frame an experience and an understanding of not just who the people are who are coming to our shores, but really our role as the people of God, that in the end, we extend that same grace and and friendship and and welcome people into our family who are strangers to us completely uh, because that's our story. That's all our story. You see it all the way, you know, at the dedication of the temple um, in the Old Testament, you know, the prayer there is, Lord God, we stand before you as foreigners and strangers. And then you, you see it all the way to the hall of faith after this in Hebrews 11, this long list of faithful people, it says they can consider, they, they considered themselves as foreigners and strangers in this, in this land. And that's why they're able to strive for this heavenly country. And so I think it's, it's not, it's not just an understanding as the church that we, we have something or we are something and you're not, and we'll be gracious to you, you little people coming in. But it's really a understanding that this is the same grace and the same family that Jesus welcomed me in. And how how could I not with open arms welcome those? And so I'm hoping to frame um, not just our perspective of 
those who are strangers to us, but us as sojourners um, in the family of God and as really strangers on this earth, not divorced from the world and our cultures and our countries, but but understanding that the citizenship we have is is in heaven and the family that we're belong to is um, is completely different than than what we have here on earth. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I just kind of want to applaud you because I think throughout the book, you are so respectful, um, you know, even of your your parents and um, your background. And so I think you do do that well, but in the same sense, you also are able to bring these opportunities into clarity to where the church can respond. What are some things that you would say the Western church needs to discard or include or change if we want to lovingly receive refugees and immigrants into our congregations and communities? Sure. And, and you know, we, we did try to do that. We felt like there needed to be some uprooting first before there was some calls to action so that the book is kind of framed that way, kind of first the things that that we need to to address and then the things that that we need to add. Uh, I'll, I'll highlight a couple things and and Sarah, you can um, let me know if anything comes to mind. But for me, two things that are are Western that that I think we need to look at again is the expert mentality. Um, and I think a lot of people shy away from living out the call that God has given them because they, they feel like they have uh, what we call in the book ignorance. And that's the idea that, you know, I'm not an expert on this person who's coming in, who's maybe Hindu or Muslim or from this culture or that culture. Um, and as I, I look at scripture, I, I'm convinced that our inadequacy is actually the opportunity for the power of God to, to be revealed. And um, I think God delights in that because he receives all the glory. It's not a, um, you know, this person's not coming to Christ because uh, this person is a cultural expert. And wow, let's praise that person. Actually, it, a lot of times I think God is, is, is pleased to do things despite even our, our ignorance or our lack of equipping. And what I found just real practically, and I share stories of this in the book, is that, you know, when, let's say there's another Middle Eastern person in my neighborhood, which there's plenty, um, and I would begin to build a friendship with them. Well, what is assumed already is I know the culture, I know the language, I know the customs. And so there's a lot of stuff there that's that's unsaid. But what I found over the years is that there's people who, who um, are better, even way better disciple makers than me, that I've seen in our in our congregation, in our in our uh, network here, in our family and friends. That you know maybe they're they're born and bred in Indiana or wherever in the Midwest. They they have little to to know. Um, you know, cultural ties with, let's say, a Middle Eastern Muslim person. But what happens there is a lot of grace is afforded because they don't expect you to know their language, their customs, their food, 
any of that. And so there's a mutuality there that goes both ways. As you taste their food, they taste your food. As you learn some of their language, they learn some of your language. As they ask you questions, you ask them questions. Um, and I think over that bridge, the gospel is really shared naturally because it's it's part of life. There's nothing assumed um, in that kind of interaction. And there's way more grace afforded if there's, let's say, a cultural mistake made or something wrong said or something wrong done uh, from somebody who is perceived outside of the culture than if I would have a cultural faux pas because I should know better. Um, so there's so I have stories like that just to say that you know, I think sometimes we're wrong about needing to be an expert. Uh, and then the other thing real quick that we we address that I want to highlight is indignation is what we call indignation. And that's a um, idea that we have, we have a lot of anger to deal with. And some of it for a lot of people feels justified. Um, but I think that anger both goes both ways. I think there's some people who could pick up this book and say, I don't know about immigrants coming to our country. I think there's also people who pick up the book and say, this is the heart of God. And I'm fully convinced before I even open this book, but we have to still watch indignation because there's some of us who, um, you know, maybe started on, on one side, not, not for immigrants, but now have, have by the grace of God changed your hearts and your minds. And it could be easy not to just get rid of indignation, but to replace it. And to say, instead of indignation towards a stranger, I'm going to have indignation towards those who do not yet have a heart of love for the stranger. And that's not what, what God has called us to, not just to uh, redirect our indignation to, to those who you know aren't there yet or don't understand or don't have the same call that we feel like we have on our life, uh, but really to have this the attitude of love and to build bridges and to create a family um, in every direction we can. Yes, Josh, thank you so much for the the way they, that you put that, you know, just giving ourselves permission to give ourselves grace, because sometimes I think it can be scary that you will say the wrong thing or offend somebody or, um, but I loved your example about the people in Indiana, um, this, yeah, we, if we can set that aside and more relate to people one-on-one, -on -one, just as Christ would be, for example, if you're watching The Chosen and you see him just interact and, and love people. Um, was there something that you wanted to add, Sarah? Yes. Um, one of the major themes of the book that we talk about that I do think is another trouble spot, I would say, in the church is fear. And a large part of the book is spent confronting our fears. And that's why I think like the book, um, it's kind of a niche topic, right? But when you read it, like, I mean, you've read it and it, it applies to not just immigrants and refugees, because there might be some, some listeners right now who are just thinking, I, this is not for me. You know, I don't know immigrants. I don't have any refugees in my circle, but this is really, you know, it's scary to talk to anybody who is different from you, you know, like it, you really do have to have some courage to cross a bridge and reach out to anybody who is marginalized. So yes, we are talking about immigrants and refugees, but I think 
um, confronting that fear, I think that applies more broadly just to discipleship, honestly. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Absolutely. Well, um, tell us about some of the key people in your life that gave you the feeling that church truly is family. And, and what did they do that sort of modeled that for you? Sure. Yeah, I, I have a, a couple stories that that come to to mind. Um, the first person, you, you know, that I would say com- completely out, outside of, you know, like my grandmother, my family, um, that, that really had no obligation to me personally, was my Sunday school teacher. I think it was my third grade Sunday school teacher. I had just, you know, began to attend the church. I was trying to understand scripture and, um, he was an amazing Sunday school teacher, but I, I really don't remember, you know, the content of the lessons. What I do remember is um, that this man, you know, showed up at our apartment and had a little black bike for me, brand new bike. He built it and um, taught me how to ride that bike and, and really uh, realized that there was a, you know, something missing as far as a father figure in my life and investment. And and he was really one of a long line of, of men in the church that that invested in me and 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 stood in, in that gap. So I'll I'll always remember that that interaction and that that moment of learning how to ride uh, my bike. Another um, story that that comes to mind is Again, you know, these aren't, uh, I hope people note that these aren't grand gestures, but they're purposeful gestures. And um, they're accompanied by real friendship and care. Um, you know, after our, our conversion, our our lives were in danger. And so we, we, began to live on the run for about 10 years. And when we showed up to the Midwest and really had this apartment, but nothing else, because we just kind of packed everything in a car and and drove across the country, this family showed up uh, from from the church that was receiving us with furniture. And so, you know, it was just used furniture, things that that they didn't need anymore or, or whatever. But I remember... Uh, with this mom and dad came this young boy that was my age. And, um, you know, they dropped off the furniture, him and I talked and we, we played and, um, you know, he was, became my best friend and, 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 uh, you know, he was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. We're still uh, great friends to, to this day. And, and for me, I, I guess I share that story to say, you know, to him and to his family, we weren't a charity case or a project or people who were, you know, in a different category. Um, they kind of immediately loved us with their whole hearts. We completely different culturally, everything different. But, you know, I spent, you know, all of junior high, high school, you know, in their basement, you know, at their pool. Um, you know, I probably spent 
more nights at their house than 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 my own in, in high school. Uh, and those are just small, small, little everyday things. But what I hope it illustrates is that um, we were we were loved and we were valued and we were seen as people who could add value. You know, uh, friendships don't don't work for uh, you know twenty plus years um, if it's if it's just one sided. Like you know, we just need to be gracious and kind to these people. No, this is, this is a friendship that, that has formed for many years because they, from the beginning, valued us, loved us, and um, saw the value that we brought to their lives as well. Absolutely. I love um, how you kind of describe it more as an investment and not just a a one-time gesture and the other thing that you said that really struck me there josh was that you can serve with a purposeful gesture and include your kids um so many times i think that you know it it might be an afterthought or you're just going to go do this on your own when at the same time you can be including your children and teaching them along the way what it looks like to be the church so that is that is, that's a beautiful beautiful illustration exactly <laughs> well yeah. go ahead i was going to say it, it even recently for us it's it's kind of come full circle um actually this week we have a a Ukrainian family that is um, coming to Chicago that we've been working with and trying to help settle here. And one of the amazing things is that their their son is the same age as my son. And it's it's really, um, it's been really moving me to feel like, wow, uh, my not, not have I gotten to experience already being on the other side. I've, I've helped families, I've helped um, refugees, but, you know, it brings tears to my eyes to think now my son, you know, born, raised in this country is going to, um, get to be part of something like that and and hopefully build a friendship that's lasting as well. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's just, yeah, that's bringing a tear to my eye too. Well, what, what are some common difficulties? Help us understand, you know, the difficulties that immigrants experience that natural born citizens just don't even think of? Um, and what can people do to ease some of these burdens for them? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the main one that I've experienced and I see and I've even had um, people, you know, affirm and share with me is that um, when there is great loss, like um, leaving your country, um, leaving people behind or being separated from people, that there is, uh, in a sense, grief that remains intermixed with every new joy. So, you know, people who gain their U.S. citizenship, that day is, is a joyful day, but it's also a day of, of mourning. Um, and those who um, get to celebrate great moments with their their new family, uh, Christian family. Also, those key milestones, um, you know, 
their heart breaks for the family that they don't that don't yet know Jesus or they're they're far from. And I, I and I would say it's very similar to having somebody that you you care about very much um pass away like having you know um a, a sibling or a father or mother pass away and then you have those key moments you know a child is born something like that and you wish they were there for it i think um because immigrants and refugees lose so much that that it's difficult sometimes to to even um, celebrate those great moments of joy because they're so intermixed with grief. I think us understanding that um, helps us realize how important it is to to be a family that's that's truly caring and reflecting the love of Christ. It's not an additional thing um, for immigrants and refugees. A lot of people who have the a family here who have a life here. Um, they come to church if you come to Christ, let's say, and you're you're an American who has here has a network here, all of that. It could feel like the church family is something that's additional or even optional uh, to some people. When you're an immigrant or a refugee and you're received into the the family of Christ and to the church, that is what you have. That is your family. It's not like a family. It's not an extended family. It is your family. And that's why we really highlight that that family concept. It's 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 crucial, not because it's effective or nice. It's because it's it's all there is. And so, you know, I've I've seen people who come from other countries who found a sense of family um, in the church here and have, uh, you know, I've been preaching in front of these people for, let's say, six months, and they don't yet know a word of English, but they're sitting there because they have a sense of family outside of what the service is or what that is. And, and for me, that's always highlighted that the Christian family that they are received in, that's it. And that is everything. Yes. Wow. That that's so fascinating because like you said, it's for a natural born citizen, we, we maybe take that for granted um and i love how you you know you you've articulated it very well um what you as an immigrant feel the church really becomes your family and i hope that stresses to those of us that are listening to be extra sensitive to that um, and to really to really help people feel like they are part of the family well, Pastor Josh, where can we look in scripture to find examples of what it looks like to care for immigrants and refugees? Yeah, I mean, scripture is full of the heart of God. And we know those um, those scriptures that talk about taking care of the, the widow and the orphan and, and the poor. We know, of course, about James talking about what true religion is. Um, but uh, for me, you know, what I want to keep pointing us to is is not just those scriptures, but the scriptures that talk about um, who we are, that that we have a common place with all of those people. I think when Jesus talks about not coming to heal uh, those that are well, but the it's the sick who need a doctor, I think 
the great irony and sadness of that moment is not that Jesus was saying to, to the Pharisees and re religious leaders that you are well and, you know, don't worry about it. I'm here for these people. And I think I would hate for, for, for us to um, look at this book and say, this is uh, to frame the church for those we're receiving. I think much more than that, uh, we need to all realize that, that Jesus came for us all, that we are all sick, that we are all strangers, that we are all foreigners, that, that we were all sinners. And, and Jesus puts it this, this way, or scripture puts it this way, that, you know, while we were still enemies of God, while we were still sinners, Christ came and he died um, for us. So for me, that, that's, that's my hope is that, that we, in some sense, are never like those um, Pharisees of the day that walk away feeling like, you're right, we are well, we don't need this Jesus, but, but truly, um, that we begin to recognize like the people of God did in the Old Testament, like the people of God did in the New Testament, that God, we stand before you as, as foreigners and strangers, uh, that, um, that the greatest family that we have, we're not born into, that we're, as John one twelve says, we're adopted into. That's, um, that's the message I want people to under, understand that those who believe in Jesus have an inalienable right and, and um, a citizenship that, that can't be revoked, which is to be the people of God in the kingdom of heaven, and more importantly, to be children of God in his family, um, regardless of what your birth is or what your origin is. Yes. Oh, you know, I actually just read a scripture in our church on Sunday, and it was about the the woman who came into the Pharisee's home, and she washed Jesus' feet with her tears and put the ointment on him, and Jesus responding, you know, those that are forgiven little, you know, in comparison to her who was forgiven a lot just that we we can tend to compare and contrast ourselves with the pharisees and this woman and i love how jesus um kind of called him out on it <laughs> and 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 allowed the woman really to be recognized for her heartfelt desire for, for Christ. Um, well, let's take a look at, uh, we see throughout the Bible that God's chosen people and even Jesus himself were made refugees and immigrants many times. How has Christianity been shaped by this history? Yeah, um, I can share some thoughts on that. You know, what I see in scripture is, like I said before, God's people have always been a sojourning people. And we see pretty early on, even just historically, what happened to the church, that it was, um, you know, really established in Jerusalem, but dispersed immediately. Um, and even its establishment, it's been, you know, noted, it's very interesting that 
the crowd of its establishment weren't all, you know, Jerusalem people. They were people gathered for festivals. That the the large conversion we see in Acts chapter two is a is a multicultural um, conversion. People who a lot of people would have seen in Jerusalem at that day as uh, foreigners, guests, um, strangers coming into the city, and so we see something. Um, amazing happen in in that world at that time where this in some sense united but still multicultural and multilingual um as we saw the disciples speaking in tongues as well acts due to reach all these people a group was formed and so when persecution hit and the church was spread it was equipped in in many languages with many cultures to go many places um and and then just you know, in the way that the Roman cities were set up as they dispersed, it also became um, really a, a, a strange group because all, all these cities were split up into, uh, in a sense, different um, divided sections to have um, the Christians gather in was was something that was unique to cities at the time because it was people um, really coming from these different parts of the city with different backgrounds and different socioeconomic classes um, and uniting in, in households. And that was something that I think caught the empire's attention and, and really scared them. Um, not because they cared so much about what people believed as much as what has the power to break down the walls between uh, cultures, languages, and, and, and even you know, religious mm -hmm. beliefs um, it scared them because what something that has this kind of uniting power can topple empires. Um, yes. And so, um, you know, you see that in Acts 15, where, you know, the, the Philippian church is, is led by um, Lydia and this merchant class, and it has poor people, and it has a Rome, Roman jailers, and um, all of a sudden you have people who should have higher allegiances to all these other things, they're coming under allegiance to, to Jesus. So um, I think it's important for us to, to continue that legacy and see ourselves that way and live that way um, fully in context of the cities and places we live, but realizing that we belong to, to a different people group. And we, we have so much that can unite us that, that the things that we feel divided over today they did not stop the people of God in the past, and they didn't stop the, the church in the New Testament. They had language barriers, cultural barriers. They had been people who were against each other at points. but And we see that reflected, you know, even in, in Paul's uh, story as well. You know, an enemy turned into um, an apostle. So I can, I can go on and on, but but I do believe that we need to... the 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 key is to walk the sojourner's journey with those who are walking it into our country. And, and we don't, we don't stop um, being God's people on the move. Absolutely. It, it, this kind of brings to mind um, an example that our pastor had used once just imagining, you know, God at, on the top of the Empire State Building, looking down, and from that vantage point, 
all the people look the same, right? They are just kind of like dots in the in the sense that um, you've taken off this layer of people being different from this vantage point that God sees us all as chil his children. And when you take off the layers of things that aren't important, it's so reflective of, of how God sees us. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, I think the lens that, that I'm impressed with in scripture is how God handles our, our differences and the diversity that he sees. First of all, I, I don't think it's an accident that he's built it into us. And I, I think there is a sense to a call I've realized for us to not just even get past those things, but to see them as strengths and ce celebrate those things that there is some kind of, um, we we're not a multicultural church isn't reducing everything to its base um, components to say we are just Christian, but it's to say that, you know, these cultures coming together really reflect the image of God uh, in a powerful way. And, and I, I think there is that also that, that revelation vantage point where everyone is worshiping at the throne of God. And the thing that is mentioned there is that, there is every tribe and nation and yes. language. And so even at the throne of God, there's this amazing diversity that he doesn't want to do away with in, in heaven, that he, he likes the tribes and the, and, and, and the differences and the different languages. Um, you know, one of the th things I love about language is that, um, you know, some languages are better at expressing certain emotions and thoughts than than other languages, and I and I've learned that there's some words that are just better not translated in, in some languages because they carry something so much um, more effectively. And and I hope to, I hope to say too, like for me, what what Sarah and I didn't realize in this process, we we felt like we took on this project out of obedience. But at the end of it, when we sat sat back and looked, and Sarah, you can feel free to share on this. Um, I think the strength of this this book and this project is that we worked on it together. Um, some of the parts of the stories that you mentioned earlier on, those are parts I wanted to gloss over. It's it's hard to share vulnerable stories. Yes. Uh, some of the, some of the parts where I go a little further into teaching about some things or, or highlighting some parts than more than I ever intended to. And that's because I had somebody like Sarah who's saying, you know, Josh, we need to talk about this more, or you need to share this part of your story. And, and this book would not be remotely what it is if, if we didn't have that collaboration, two different people coming from two different yes. perspectives, two different cultures, two different origin languages, um, uh, you, you know, you name it, we, we on paper are, are very different, but I think we, there was a synergy and a unity in this project that made it better than it, it could be if I did it myself, or if, if Sarah wrote on this topic herself, Sarah, I don't know if you want to share more about that. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think 
we didn't even realize that until we turned in our manuscript and we're like, oh, this is kind of a microcosm of what we're talking about. <laughs> and I, I think it goes deeper than um, just us like working on a project together. Like we have a deep friendship that has been around a long time. We met in college. Um, Josh lived with my family for a summer. Like we, we've just spent a lot of time together. And I think um, there's obstacles when you work on a project like this, right? Like there are, there's just things that happen that pop up and it did take us about five years to write the book, I think. So it was a process and I think we were able to do it because not only did we um, work together and definitely there was a synergy as Josh said, but I think it is because we had a real understanding of one another. Like we had a deep relationship, a deep friendship. And so I think it really grew. I think the book really became um, something that would never have existed with either. If it was just one of us working on it, um, it, it really grew out of that friendship. And I love that. And I, I just hope that that gets repeated. I hope that, um, and I think that's Josh's heart in the book. Like he said, he doesn't want to be heavy handed with the church. He wants to encourage because it's really a success story. It really is. It's a, it's like the church did a good job. <laughs> like the church really loved him well. And he just wants to help people repeat the process. And I love that so much. Yes. And I think absolutely without a doubt, um, for our listeners, you'll be encouraged. Um, and this will be an impetus to, to really pull on your heartstrings to say, you know, am I being the hands and feet of the church how I should be? So I think you two coming together have done that just beautifully well. You already know that we at Coffee and Bible Times strive to help people delight in God's word. That's why we love Alabaster and their inspiring Bibles. In addition to the visually appealing design, these Bibles are an engaging way to delve deep into God's Word. You can purchase books of the Bible individually or in bundles. Either way, your faith is sure to flourish. Alabaster Company has perfectly designed an intersection of creativity beauty, and faith in each and every book. Use our promo code CBTPROMO or find our link below to get 10% off your order and let's experience God's beauty together. Well, you describe three obstacles that the church must overcome in order to be effective missionaries. Tell us what they are and what problems does it cause to leave them unresolved? Sarah, do you want to start on that? Yeah, I think we've, we've spoken a little bit about that um, already. I think Josh touched on, you know, the ignorance is one. We talked about inadequacy and indignation. So we alliterated it for your benefit. <laughs> um but I guess what I would like to say about it is, you know, we do dig into like the, the heart issues, right? The problems. But I think 
what we like to talk more about is the solutions, you know, like the, Mm -hmm. um, what can we do, you know, like where, like, yes, we do have some things that we need to uproot, but I think that it's, I love the solutions that we offer because that Josh really offers. It really is Josh's teaching. Um, I think that they're simple in a way, but they're not easy, right? Like they're simple concepts we, that we're offering, but they're, they really are challenging. Like it is really hard, um, to do some of the things that we're asking the church to do. And, um, I think that it's just a great encouragement to not only look at some of the hard issues that we have and some of the readers I think will be, will feel very challenged, but I'm hoping that most people will just feel motivated. Like that's, that's what I'm hoping. And that's what I'm hearing from you also is just, um, that this is a, it is a great story. Like anybody who reads Josh's story is not going to be able to put the book down. Like no. it, it is a really, really great story. Mm-hmm. Um, but really I think his heart is to just, um, just motivate people and help people and encourage them to reach out. And I'm excited just to hear some of the stories when that happens. Yes. Do you find that just um, in working with trying to encourage people to do this, like there's just such an amazing, uh, I'm going to say problem, but busyness, like people are just so self-centered in a lot of cases and just busy. Like it's almost like a teaching process of really like, letting go of all of my needs and what I need to do and, 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 and prioritizing to be this family for other people. Is that something that like, just because for example, like your kids can be involved in so many activities, you can be doing so many things, but I see the, the impact of what you're describing, like that could be as, long lasting is let's say winning a football championship right like the people that poured into your your lives you can have this impact that is just you know incomparable really yeah you know i know i don't need any more to do uh, and i and i assume it's the same with uh, anyone who would read this book i even you know I understand that reading a book is something to do. And so even in the way we try to pace this book and split it up and everything, it it was to respect people's time. And so for me, I've read plenty of, of Christian books that were right on, but the gap between where I felt I was and where it was calling me to was so high that I I just walked away feeling worse and not knowing what what steps to take, mm-hmm. not because I disagreed with anything they they've said, mm-hmm. um, and so, for like like Sarah said, I think, it, first of all, Scripture says that you know it's out of the heart, the, the overflow of the heart that 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 our life is is lived, and so that is why we aren't telling people don't do this and do this as much as to say, we want to 
address and frame the issues that are born in our hearts as human beings. And in addressing those issues and in calling people to think about themselves differently, to think about our world differently, to think about others differently, I believe, I hope that these things are not going to be tasks that that we need to, you know, allocate time for, but they're going to, as our heart is changed, as our mind is changed, um, that is going to be the overflow of our life. You know, one of the things that, that um, when I first moved to Chicago, people would ask me as I had a, a dream to, to reach people from all around the world, including here in the US, uh, American people, you know, well, what people group are you going to target? here or what are you doing to reach this people group and um you know after a while i felt a little overwhelmed and and what i came to is the conclusion that if me and the people around me are equipped to love and disciple our neighbors it doesn't matter what their background is if they're american if they're from this country or that country um and 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 one of the stories I tell is is you know the first person that came to Christ um, when I when I was planting a church a decade ago was a Hindu man. I just knew nothing about Hinduism, just nothing. Um, and I think that for me serves as a story and pillar to say like I had these expectations, and I had even what I thought was cultural background expertise to to reach people. And here comes a, a man that really I have not no answer or a no equipping for, uh, but I did have a heart to love and so did our people and to, um, and to make disciples of those who are around us. So um, that's what I hope we accomplish, not just, you know, say, hey, you know, allocate less time for sports and more time for reaching um, foreigners. Uh, you know, I, I think those things naturally happen when when our heart and our mind are changed then our our life begins to change yes oh, that's so true well josh i certainly hope um that there are immigrants or refugees listening to this podcast if so is there anything that you'd like to say to them or specifically to muslim background believers such as yourself yeah, certainly. If um, if you're if you've walked a similar journey to me, uh, if you're an immigrant or if you're a refugee, um, then you know the the cycle of fear that that you're having to live in. And so, um, I want to just say to anyone who is in the midst of that that I understand what you're going through, and um, I empathize with you and I'm already praying for those who might be listening um, to this. And I want to let you know that um, Jesus doesn't um, offer us just easy answers that are, you know, lumps of sugar to, to swallow or nice sayings, but he is a God and a savior who um, knows this world realistically for what it is and has overcome this world. Scripture tells us, tells us that when Jesus gathered his disciples, he let them know that in this world that they would have trouble. But he also told them, behold, he has overcome this world. And so um, 
what what I hope you hear today, if you're if you're outside of the church, is that you have a a citizenship access to a citizenship that can't be revoked, that you have a right to be a child of God. Um, the the Apostle John writes that that for those who believe, they have the right to become children of God, children not born of 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 natural or anyone's desire or 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 any natural line, but really adopted children of God. And so um, that citizenship and that heritage, no one um, can take away from you. And it is your right as a child created in the image of God. And um, I know from personal experience that um, while you might feel alone and afraid and searching, that there is a, a God who is after you and is with you and um, wants to have a relationship with you. And wherever you are, even if it's just as you're listening to this podcast, um, if you would just seek that God, um, I'm confident that that where you knock, um, the door will be open and he'll answer. Amen. Sarah, any final thoughts from you or hopes that you have of people who are reading this book? Yes. Um, I mean, we're here because, you know, we wrote this book. We obviously believe in this message, but we, we really just want to get it out there and neither one of us. I mean, we don't have big Facebook followings. We don't have a mega church. Like we, we do need your help. Um, we would like, and I know that God is going to get this story into the hands of the people that need it. And, I'm, I have full confidence in that, but if you're listening and, you know, we designed this book for groups, so there's questions and for like reflection and study, but we also put out a small group guide recently. It's free. Um, you can go to the Moody publishing website. I think that's actually the cheapest place to get the book right now as well. So you can go to their website and order the book and you just kind of scroll down and there's a box under the book that says the place where you can get the free study guide. Um, we're going through it right now with my church and it's just been really transformational for my church. Um, and that's been, been awesome to watch. So I just encourage you to get the book. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking not as a writer, but as a reader right now, like I've read the book probably a hundred times <laughs> by now in five years and truly it impacts me every time. Um, it really does. Like it is, it is a book that you can read again and again and again. So I am just asking for your help just to support the book and get the message out there. Thank you so much for having us today. Also. Oh, I just loved having you on there. And yes, I love the idea of doing this book with a small group mm -hmm. because, you know, when we're in our small groups, you know, we're called to, to action, not just to be continually, you know, equipping our mind and learning more and more and more, but to be the hands and feet of Jesus as well. And I think this will, mm -hmm. this would set up a small group. To Can I say one more thing together. about Absolutely. the small groups? I mm -hmm. think when you, I, I hear that question you, you previously asked about um, just we're, we're busy. Like, and Josh said, I don't need one more thing to do. Right. <laughs> so 
And I hear that and feel that deeply having kids of my own. So um, I understand the busy schedule, but I think when we do things together, it just makes the load lighter. And so that's why we did intentionally write a really short book. It's very short. It's very readable. Um, but we also really wanted it to be for groups because it's easier to go together. Like that's how this book happened. You know, we went together. So we go farther when we go together. And I think it, this is a really great book for any group that would want to use it. So thank you. Yes, absolutely. Well, how can people find out more information about you both? Um, I'm on Instagram, so not very often, but, (laughs) um, my name is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Lou, L-E-W, who, W-H-O. So that's where I am. Um, I'm not really on any other social media, so if you want to follow me, you can. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I would say just you can Google the book's name or you can Google my name, Joshua Sharif. And I think all my stuff comes up. Facebook, Instagram, all that. So excellent. And we will also have links to all of these uh, contacts in our show notes. Well, before we go, we want to ask you some of our favorite Bible study tool questions so our audience can continue to learn and get some new ideas. So what Bibles do you guys use and which translations are they? Um. I actually really love, and this is another one of your questions, but I love the Bible hub website and app, um, because I can, when I'm reading or studying, I can see all the translations like right there next to each other. And I can even see the Greek and dig deeper. I went to seminary, so I took Greek classes and stuff, but, and I remember having to go to the library and just get all these big books out just to do a word study. It would take hours, but now I can like click and it's in two seconds. I will be able to have more information about the actual original language. So I just appreciate their website, how they have it set up. And I'm right now, I think I'm reading the new living. I think I just got done reading the ESV. So I don't have, I, I like to read different translations. I would say I don't have a, I think I grew up with the NIV. So that's kind of my preference, but you know, I like to explore. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. For me, it's uh, mostly the NIV because the same, the same reason it's the, you know, the first English language Bible I, I started to read. So a lot of those mm-hmm. verses just flow like the NIV. Um for me. Um, and then if we're, if we're talking about apps as well, I, I like the street lights Bible app and that is a, um, that's produced in Chicago here where I am. It's, um, an audiobook Bible. It's new living translation. And it is, um, just very contemporary, amazing original music score and voice work. It's a, it's the most listenable uh, Bible that I that I've heard. So I love to just put that that on and uh, listen to scripture that way. Ooh, okay. I haven't heard that one before. We'll have to check that out. That's awesome. Uh, lastly, then, do you guys have any favorite journaling supplies or anything else that you like to use to enhance your Bible study experience? Yeah, um, I was thinking about this and I, I just use, you know, pen and paper really for journaling, but 
I was thinking about like a particular Bible study tool that has helped me a lot. Um, just because I actually do have ADD and I'm a therapist who treats a lot of patients with ADD and it is hard to concentrate and read. And especially over the past few years with the amount of stress, the amount of information, people have had a really difficult time being able to focus on just reading the Bible. So not only have I been listening to the Bible, but I think you've even advertised this before, but the alabaster books, um, they have, they're beautifully, beautifully done. And they have just these huge margins. And for some reason for my ADD brain, like that has helped me so much over the past few years to grab some of those books um, and to read through. It's just helped me focus. And I think it's literally the way they have designed them to have so much margin and to just take it a small piece at a time. Um, That's been really a blessing for me and a lot of my clients as well. Oh, that's a great suggestion. Yeah, for me, um, I don't do anything fancy for journaling, but every once in a while, I'll I'll go ahead and if I'm wanting to go through a book, I'll print it out and um, format it before I print it out. So it's, you know, like double spaced and um, that way I can circle words and, and not, uh, I find that when I'm using my own Bible, I'm very careful, you know, like, okay, I, I'm going to highlight this, but then I just take a lot of time to highlight it nicely or whatever. But if I just print it out um, and just say, this is going to sit on my, my desk, then I don't mind, you know, the minute something hits my head or something I want to circle or underline, I can just do that immediately and flip through and, and, and find connections. And um, so that's helped me is just printing out. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's a great idea. And if you have it double spaced, then you can kind of make notes and yeah. Oh, that's awesome. What a great suggestion. Well, Josh and Sarah, thank you so much for being here today to remind us of the importance of caring for immigrants and refugees, especially in our churches and just modeling Jesus to those who need it most. So thank you so much. And for for our listeners, pick up a copy of Josh and Sarah's book, The Stranger at Our Shore. You can find the link in our show notes. Please also head over to our blog where you can interact with us and share your comments on this podcast. And lastly, head over to the Coffee and Bible Time website for our prayer journals that will help guide and document your prayer life at coffeeandbibletime.com. We also have two new courses available on how to pray using our prayer journal and prayer binder. Well, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We love you all. Have a blessed day.